Hello, people of the world. This is the Upper Bowl GM Podcast, and this is Nick Ferraris. Recording after Alabama took care of business like most of us expected. Not really any doubt that this Alabama team led by Nick Saban is one of, if not the best Alabama teams of all time, and probably in the discussion for best college football team of all time because they ran every single team they played this year off of the field except for Florida in the SEC title game but Florida was never really that close even though the final result was only a six-point game sad that college football is over and we've only got a couple more weeks of NFL football left but on the bright side this week hockey is back this episode today Recorded earlier in the day before the national title game, so you'll hear a few allusions to the game that's upcoming, but silly me forgot that this is going up for Tuesday afternoon and not for a Monday audience. Bear with me. I'm trying to juggle a lot of things. Had a really nice conversation about the Boston Bruins, a team that is going to be in the New York Rangers division this year because of the COVID forced realignment, where it the divisions are all regional-based, and you're only going to play those teams in your division during the regular season. So for the Rangers, they'll play Boston, Philadelphia, the Islanders, the Devils, the Sabres, the Penguins, and the Capitals. And the Rangers make up the eighth. T- the Rangers are the eighth team in the division with those seven. Everyone's going to play each other eight or nine times. Some teams have a weird breakdown where they play nine times instead of eight for some reason. I don't know. I don't make the decisions. But it'll lend itself to probably a little bit more competitive hockey because these teams are going to get to be a lot more familiar with each other. Most games are set up on back-to-back or two games and three nights against the same team, kind of a baseball series-style type deal to minimize travel and get in the maximum number of games each time where it's if these teams all test no COVID tests, no positive COVID tests in a two- to three-day window, the NHL wants to get two games in because they figured they're not going to be able to play the full 56-game season or that teams are going to end up with a competitive disadvantage where they're only going to have 17 or 16 skaters on a given night. I assume the NHL is going to have to figure out some some way to solve that problem. I know that the teams have taxi squad players, which are four or five guys who aren't on the active roster, but if there is a COVID problem, they can be elevated to the active roster without requiring a clearance of waivers. It's a good idea, but before I get too lost in the introduction, which is only supposed to be the introduction, gotta remind everyone, share and help grow the podcast. Slowly but surely, we are gaining a little bit more traction every single week. I feel like for now, as long as there's stuff to talk about, I will keep doing an episode a day because there is an appetite for it. We're getting a couple more listens every single week. That's all I'm asking for. I'm not asking for a thousand new listens every single week, but another 10, 15, that's all I'm looking for, man. Just keep sharing, follow along on social media. I know I got to do a better job of making more stuff for the the Twitter and Instagram accounts. I'll try and do a little bit more tape-based stuff where I can explain things in a quick, concise way. Maybe I'll do an explainer series. I think that has some potential for some fun. Maybe I'll pursue the common sense consultant like Ethan, my boss at Gotham, keeps telling me to do. I'll get on that. Enjoy this conversation I recorded with Sarah Griffin. Sarah's a really nice person, really good conversation. She writes about baseball. She had a podcast about hockey, but the NWHL didn't have a season last year because of labor issues. NWHL, the Women's Hockey League, from the National Women's Hockey League from two years ago, they're going to be playing in the bubble in, a bubble in Lake Placid in two weeks. We'll have a guest early next week to talk about the women's bubble because that is a major story and I do want to talk about it because women's hockey deserves more attention and it's quality hockey. I'm not going to say no to more hockey. I watch college and I watch the NFL. Why wouldn't I watch college hockey, women's hockey? Why wouldn't I watch junior hockey? The more sports I can watch, the better. I'll see you guys on the other side of the drop with Sarah. I guess go Bruins. And with 
that throwback highlight from a night I still remember. I'll, I'll, we'll get to that in later. Welcome on, a writer for Pitcherless, a baseball website, a former women's hockey podcaster, and the very talented Sarah Griffin. How you doing, Sarah? Hello, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm excited. There's college football on in like an hour and a half. We're getting enjoy one last game. But hockey this week, it's why you're here to talk about the Bruins, one of the teams in this Frankenstein monster of an Eastern division that's going to be (laughs) miserable for every single person involved because there are no pushover games where uh, maybe Buffalo, but Buffalo still has Eichel and Hall. The Islanders, eh, the Devils, eh, the Rangers, not going to play any defense, going to try and win every game six to five. (laughs) And then Sarah's Bruins, who are were the president's trophy team last year before the pause happened and everything kind of went to hell they had all the issues in the bubble but we'll get to that we'll get to that (laughs) so setting the table talk to me a little bit about your your Bruins origin story what are your earliest memories of the Bruins how'd you get into hockey set the table okay so honestly I did not start to seriously get into hockey until I went to school a few years ago I was kind of trying to navigate my way through sports media world, you know how that is. (laughs) And I wanted to bring more than just like baseball knowledge to the table. And I was like, okay, I've always enjoyed watching hockey and going to games. So like, why don't I try and delve into this a little more? Because honestly, my first like earliest Bruins memory for I know a lot of people in New England is that 2011 season. I just remember watching it with my parents in the basement. And it was like the first time I was like, oh, there are sports more than just baseball to watch. <laughs> that Bruins team was interesting because uh, that seems like forever ago now, but a lot of those guys have managed to hang around the league a pretty long time. I mean, back then, Marshawn was just kind of a third line scra- scab who was just kind of trying to kill people. Lucic is still hanging around somehow. Bergeron, of course, Krejci, of course, Lucic, Recky, really good team back then. And it's one of the things we're going to get into a little bit down the line is how the Bruins have maintained continuity through a lot of this decade where they've managed to get important players under contract and build out from that in a way that a lot of teams are trying to emulate. But once before the analysis, one last thing in this sphere, what kind of fan are you? You the optimist, the pessimist, the realist? So normally I would say I'm definitely an optimist, Mm -hmm. although with coming into this season I am a little more of a realist I feel like we kind of had a reality check with the bubble last season and then Bruins didn't have the best off season really so I'm like all right because I feel like my outlook used to be oh cup or bust and now I'm like they're definitely a playoff team but that's that's nothing to write home hey I would take the playoffs I don't expect I would like to make the playoffs that's something you got something to work with (laughs) Yeah, I can't complain. Like, it's not like spoiled. Be like, yeah, I don't know if they're going to make it to the cup. (laughs) Yeah, I I need another cup. You're going to get me that, Coach Cassidy? Can I get one more, please? Uh, One more while I can still enjoy it before I'm like an adult adult. Yeah, I'm not asking for much, I think. Yeah, come on. One cup. It's it's all I ask for. It's all I've ever asked for. It's just give me one (laughs) Rangers cup in my life before I'm too old and jaded to care about it. Just one. It's all I want. It is all I want. So you said that you re- got into hockey from uh, this is something I can learn. I already like. I want to learn more about it. Are you an eye test person or analytics or both? Definitely eye tests. I feel like when I'm like writing and doing like deeper research into players or teams, like especially if I want to make an article, then I will delve more into the analytics. But typically I'm more of just an eye test person just because mm-hmm. I'm watching every game anyways. And I'm like, at least with the Bruins, I'm like, I know these players pretty well. <laughs> and numbers just aren't my thing, I won't lie. <laughs> it's reasonable. It's why we're media people and not, like, scientists. We, yeah, we, exactly. <laughs> my one journalism professor always made the really bad joke that there's two types of journalists, those who can count and those who can't. Yeah, so <laughs> it really didn't make anyone laugh, but I still remember it, like, four years later for some reason. It kind of stuck with me. I think he kind of mistold it. I think the joke is supposed to be there's three types of journalists, those who can <laughs> do math and those who can't, that kind of thing. Okay, table set. Let's talk about the bubble last year because 
going into that bubble, I was still pretty confident that the Bruins were the best team. I thought they would beat Tampa Bay. Then they had the injuries come up where after they steamrolled Carolina, they really had a banged up roster going into that series against the Lightning and had a hard time. Of course, Tuca had to leave because he had a medical, his family medical emergency. So I'm just going to give you the floor here to talk a little bit about your emotions last summer going into that bubble and what it was like for you in that in the bubble. Yeah, you know, you're preaching to the choir when going into the bubble, I was, I don't want to say I was fully confident, but I was fairly confident. I'm like, all right, they're making it to Stanley Cup. Like, no question about that. Like, just because they were the best team in hockey and it just seemed like everything was clicking before the bubble. Like, yeah, there's some kinks here and there. For the most part, they're pretty healthy. They did not the best at the shootout, but I'm like, well, that's not going to be a problem in the playoffs. So that's fine. Yeah, and I was like, all right, maybe all this long time off is good. Like everyone's rested. Everyone's definitely fully healthy now. And then we get in there and, you know, the round robin tournament didn't look so hot. Yeah. And I was like, okay, that's not, I know a lot of people right away were like, oh, what happened here? But I think it was Marshawn like said to the media, he was like, honestly, didn't feel like real playoff hockey. Like we're not that concerned about it. I was like, okay, if they're not concerned, then I'm not concerned. Even once they got the fourth seed, you know, kind of a waste of the whole number one league. But but then that series against Carolina, it just didn't look like the same team. They won, but it just was not the same. And like you said, all of these injuries come up, and then you're going to play Tampa Bay. Yeah, that Tampa <laughs> Bay team was not a wagon. The team you want to be going in with all those injuries with. Yeah, and then there was the madness with Rask, where I, I, for you is the New England media sphere kind of like how it is with New York, where they kind of take something and then blow it way out of proportion to the point of it's ridiculous. Like, I don't know how much sports talk discourse there was about how, you know, this guy is part of the team. He's got to be here for the team. Was that a, a, a thing? Oh, it was <laughs> everywhere. And then you also have the Bruins fans, like, cause there's those Bruins fans that for some reason hate Tuka. You would like, it blows my mind. I don't get it. I still, I'll never understand it. I'm like, we have one of the best goalies in the league and they would do anything to have him off the team. And then he leaves for family merch. So, you know, quite very valid reason. Didn't even need to give us a reason, honestly, but and they're all upset. They're like, well, he just shouldn't come back at all. Then like all this, like trying to delve more into it, thinking like, oh, he's not fully committed. And then the media just piles on. It was just like this, this is hockey. This isn't like the military. Like I, if, 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 you know, if he was leaving like, you know, his guys in a foxhole, that's one thing. It's hockey. Like, yes, this is his job. But like, you know, family, your children, these are important things. Like you're an adult. You I know. Responsibilities. <laughs> well, the crazy part is they're still talking about it. Like last week, Tuga had to address it. Like, yeah, he never. Oh, I did see that. Himself, yeah. But what was that? Yeah, I did see that because I did watch a few things from the Bruins media availability. I did see that. And I'm like, do we really need to get into that again? He's here now. It's, o- it's over. It's done with. That that happens. They didn't lose to Tampa Bay but just because they didn't have Tuca. They no, lost to like, Tampa Bay because Tampa Bay was the best team last year. Yeah, I was like, Tampa was beating them regardless. There is yeah. no way that the Bruins – I reached a point going into that series – I was like, they're not going to win this series. And honestly, I think even if they had Tuca, I would have felt the same way. Like, that was not happening. It just wasn't in the cards at that point. The fatalistic outlook has its upsides. Because then you get to tell everyone, A, I was right. And B, you're not as emotionally tortured. Like, it still hurts to get your team knocked out in the playoffs. But if you're expecting it, at least, like, you know, it doesn't hurt as much. That, that's what I did with the Rangers with Carolina. I didn't expect them to win. When... Oh, yeah, no. Yeah. I wasn't like crying or anything like yeah. 2019 that came seven I bawled my eyes out when they lost to Tampa the other whatever was it August yeah it might have yeah. been September by then but yeah yeah I was just like okay it, it was to be ex- Tampa Bay was the best team last year like yeah far away. like three of the 10 best players in the entire league on one team they got all the depths they got an all-world goaltender it's going to be hard, and it's one of the advantages that we have in this new Eastern division is that, yeah, Boston and Philly are both really good, but they're not in that tier where Tampa Bay is, where they're just so much better than everyone else, even without Kucherov, which they're going to be for the regular season for mm-hmm. at least, like, the first two months. Everyone is not in the same weight class, but, like, 
everyone is relatively close to each other in the east which which will make it interesting yeah i'll say which will make it fun but also terrifying <laughs> exactly no exactly. way to predict what's going to happen especially the way the schedule is set up where it's going to be the back-to-backs where you're going to play a team twice in two or three days where you're going to see the same team a lot and in short windows and i think it's going to lead to a lot of kind of boring hockey where the teams are just kind of going to be patient and try and outweigh each other Oh my God, I know. I was thinking that because I was checking to see how many times the Bruins play the Capitals because I was like, how many times are we going to see Chara? That's going to be so weird. Nine times. Yeah, it's not great. I'm like, by like the third time, it's going to be like, okay. The effect will have worn off by then, which is a good way to transition to the next part I have here on the rundown about this lasting group that has kind of been the the swing point, if you want to call it that, from the team that won the Cup in 2011 to where they are now, where... There's still a few lingering guys, Marshan, Bergeron, Krejci. But other than that, that's it. They've done a nice job of bringing guys in over time. Pasternak is incredible. It's amazing they got him where they did in the draft. Sucks he's going to be out for the first month and a half, half, two months of the season with the hip. But talk to me a little bit about how they've built the team. and Because the Bruins are one of those teams that actually does have a unique feel and identity where – the guys who once they get there and they buy into it, they don't leave. Oh yeah, no, 100%. And I was kind of just thinking, you know, the idea of like, oh, what makes this team so special? And it does sound kind of like cheesy and cliche, but like you said, once people are on, like players are on the Bruins, they buy into it. I feel like that core group, like the Krejci, Chara, Bergeron, Marshawn, they kind of like set the scene. Like you have like solid leadership. They're not, well, we thought they weren't going anywhere. I mean, you still have Bergeron, Chara, not Chara, Krejci, and um, Marshawn. But regardless, you know, all these young guys come up. They have, like, these star players in their eyes that they grew up watching, like, 2011, whatever. And they love being a Bruin. Like, Chara even said, he's like, I want to stay with the Bruins. It just didn't work out. And I feel like you just had that set leadership and the way they, they've been growing the team and the way they're able to build around this core group of players has just made it a very enjoyable few years of hockey. And now we're kind of at this like turning point where you have to start thinking about the future and what it's going to be like without these guys. And it's kind of scary, but like, it's not like they're like depleted by any means. Yeah, they've got a nice group. And off of that point is they all... Those the guys you mentioned, specifically Bergeron and Marshawn, they took less money to keep that group together, which is one of the things they want to be here. They it's worth pointing out that when you have the right team culture, guys are willing to do things to keep that team together. And then Pasta took less money on his extension because that's what Bergeron and Marshawn did, and that's the way the team is. Because if the best players take less money, you got more money for depth guys. And it sets them up nicely where they do have these nice younger pieces where you have guys like DeBrus. You have guys like McAvoy, who we're going to get into in a minute, because that's actually how I found your Twitter, is you were one of, like, the, you kept tweeting, like, over and over again, the McAvoy score a goal thing last year oh, when yeah. he was going through that drought. And as a noted McAvoy guy, I was like, I was a right, big follow. of McAvoy scoring. Yeah, that was the, all right, follow. And, yeah, <laughs> as a McAvoy guy, grew up Long Island, he's a Ranger fan, he's going to be a Ranger someday, I'm going to hold out hope for that. Mm-hmm. One of the more entertaining players I've watched. I really first saw McAvoy in that World Juniors where they won the gold medal where he was playing like 30 minutes a game. And oh, yeah. Just an absolute lunatic where he was coming out every other shift. A incredible motor. And it's going to be interesting to see how he does now without Z as his D partner. I am I'm excited for him because mm-hmm. I feel like it's going to give him more opportunity. But at the same time, like, like Z like has been his mentor coming up through the NHL and I know like because we've seen McAvoy obviously play without him because Char has been out a few games whatever due to injury and especially during the playoffs I feel like McAvoy picked up a slack a lot for the defense because defense did not look great last summer but McAvoy was he was close to playing 30 minutes a lot of games again there and I don't know, I just feel like he's one of the more under, like, flies under the radar in terms of defensemen in the NHL. Absolutely agreed with that. Which always blows my mind, especially when you're, like, watching him, like, play every day. I don't know how he flies under the radar. <laughs> it's the same thing I have with Adam Fox, where 
the offensive defensemen who don't put up like the gaudy, like the 50 to 60 points, like the Carlson, the Yossi's, those kind of yeah. guys, they fly under the radar because the boomer hockey writer is like, this guy doesn't check anyone. He doesn't play the corners. He doesn't clear the puck. Meanwhile, the people who are like, you know, watching, watching the game are seeing, well, yeah, he doesn't have to hit anyone because he's faster than everyone. So he gets the puck and just skates it out of trouble. He doesn't have to dump it out. It's what makes McAvoy so good is his agility. He moves very well left to right, back and forth. And he's really good in transition, which is something I always look for when I'm doing evaluations for things I'm writing or for the podcast is how good are the defensemen at getting the puck out of trouble? Because that's something a lot of the older defensemen in the league have a problem with now is that everyone is just really fast now. So slow (laughs) defensemen get exploited especially bad. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel like when I say like, oh, this is kind of giving McAvoy more opportunity. Like, because, you know, Lovechar, one of the best shutdown defensemen there's been, but he is getting older. He's getting slower. So to have him like them on the same pairing, it was just like, okay, I know McAvoy can do more. <laughs> and now kind of is his chance. It's just going to be weird seeing him adjust to having a new partner. And I know it'll be quite the adjustment for him. <laughs> Did you have an idea of what they're doing pairs-wise yet? Or is it kind of too early in training camp to get a vibe? Is it going to be Grizzlick, John Moore, the right guy? Right now, I think McAvoy is on the top pair with Jeremy Lozon. Okay. Which okay. is interesting. I was hoping it would be Grizzlick because I know they're partners at BU and they oh. played together at the NHL level a few times, a few games. I do like Lozon. I don't know how he plays with McAvoy. But I'm like, well, it's still early. I guess we'll see how it all plays out. What kind of defenseman is Lozon? Honestly, I feel like I didn't see enough of him last season. I can't remember even when they pulled him up because I watched him in Providence. He was definitely one of, if not the best defenseman down in Providence. But then he kind of got lost in this mix of when the Bruins were, like, shifting out Connor Clifton, John Moore, Jeremy Lozon, all those people, just seeing, like, every other game, who fits better. And I feel like they never found a set pairing. Because mm-hmm. I like a lot of the guys the Bruins have on the back end. Grizzlick is good. Brandon Carlo, I feel like, is pretty underrated. Connor oh, Clifton. Brandon Carlo. Hey, the floor is yours. By all means, you're free. He's another one. I just think very underrated you know great shutdown defenseman I think he stepped up a lot last year because there's a lot it was like 2017 2018 he was injured 2019 I think he was injured a bit and you just never really got to fully see him in action then last year he just kind of popped off and it was like wow you know he signed his extension I think it's just for like two years but again he flies under the radar you know he's a big guy (laughs) very big guy actually He's the kind of prototypical modern NHL defenseman where they have size, they can skate, they can pass the puck out of trouble. It's what you want from your middle, your middle four guys. Whether, whether or not he probably never usurps McAvoy as the first pair right D, but having that guy as your three or four is, it's really good from a team building perspective. Yeah, he was really good with Krug, which also makes me sad, but we'll see. That. That's later in the rundown, but we'll jump right there now because losing Krug and Chara in one offseason is kind of traumatic from a fan perspective and just from a competitive, I want the team to do well perspective. (laughs) Oh, yeah. From fan perspective, it was quite the blow. I I took the Krug one a lot harder, to be honest, even though, which is kind of funny because you kind of knew the Krug move was coming. Yeah. I think just the only thing with that was after the fact he was like I want to stay in Boston like he just couldn't work out a deal and obviously no one knows the specifics of what went on between the two sides but it kind of sounds like Boston gave up on like trying to figure out a deal and I know like Krug was asking for a lot of money like as he should and the Bruins need to think about the future like I get it but then you have on top of facts you end up signing with the Blues (laughs) yeah not, not not the best feeling yeah so that just made it a little bit, not a little bit, a lot bit worse. And like, he is the guy, like, that's a big question with the defense. Like, who's going to step up in his power play role? Because he was just kind of the guy in that situation. I think they're saying Grizzlick. Mm-hmm. And I think Grizzlick definitely, I don't know if he can do it to the same level as Krug, like, right away. 
but Grizzly has a lot of potential and he's been very consistent. So I think it should be okay. From a team building perspective, was it, oh, this guy or that guy with Krug where they had to make sign other guys? Cause like, I know they had to give DeBrusque an extension. I want to say they ha- they gave Kevin Miller an extension. Yeah. What was it roster building wise that they chose to do instead of Krug? Well, with DeBrusque and Miller, obviously that's not the same amount, like big amount of money as Krug, but the Miller contract did kind of kind of kill me a little bit on the inside just because he hasn't played in like two seasons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about and, that, to be honest, before you mentioned Yeah, that. and like he is, he's a good defenseman, but I'm like, Krug's a better defenseman. We don't know what Miller even plays like anymore, <laughs> to be honest. Um, and then he signed for like $1.75 million for a year contract, I think. Which then I'm like, okay, but Shara just signed for like 700000 something. Like, yeah. we couldn't just have re-signed him. <laughs> it's, not, it's not great. It, it was kind of a weird, and also the that was their first move of the offseason, was re-signing Miller, which just seemed weird to me. <laughs> Reasonable. I, I can see that, where it's, I do feel like it kind of was weird the way it kind of just ended unceremoniously with Shara and the Bruins. Kind of the same way it was with the Rangers and Lundquist. It was just like, this guy's done all of this for the organization and you can't like, you know, come out and address the elephant in the room. You just kind of got to do it backhandedly and, you know, just let it happen and play out. I feel like it was like the same deal. Like you just woke up one day and all of a sudden you get this notification on your phone, like out of nowhere. (laughs) The Chara one was shocking because like I figured if the Bruins didn't resign him, I just figured he was going to retire. Oh yeah, that's what I was thinking too. And it kind of sounded like I mean, granted, Chara, he's another one of those people that probably just wants to play for as long as possible. But it just kind of got the sense he wanted to be a Bruin for the rest of his career. Otherwise, he was done. So just seeing, oh, yeah, Chara's signing with the Capitals. I was like, is that real? I I thought it was fake, too. I'll be honest. I thought it was fake, too. It just didn't look – I think originally it came from someone that, like, wasn't verified on yeah. Twitter. I was like, no way. Yeah, no chance. Some, I'm pretty sure it was someone from the hockey news. Yeah, it, it's yeah, it was. Because Chara is – one of the things I've always – Chara has always been one of those figures in the league. But over the last few years, the more I've gotten into, like, writing about this kind of stuff, doing content on it, is he always gives really good quotes about, like, the team building kind of thing. Like, I know there's a video that, like, the really hard-o sports people retweet all the time where he's talking about how the Bruins don't treat rookies any differently from anyone else. Yes. And it's just like, it's one of those things where, yeah, that I get why people stay with this organization a long time. And I get why they're successful because everyone feels like they're a part of the team, that no one is different from anyone else. Yeah, no, that's the big thing with Chara is the leadership because the hockey did, like he was still a great defenseman, but again, you get slower, you get older, whatever. And thank God we have Patrice Bergeron to be stepping yeah. in. Like, that's definitely the next best guy to have if you're losing Chara as the leader for your team. Patrice Bergeron is not a bad replacement. It's kind of weird that I feel like – I know he doesn't, like, fly under the radar, but I feel like Bergeron just kind of doesn't get enough respect for being, like, one of the 10 best players of the decade. Like, oh, yeah. he's not in the Crosby-McDavid tier of talent – but just everything he does, whether it's the off the ice stuff, just playing the hard minutes, being so good well as a well-rounded guy. I mean, they might as well rename the Selkie Trophy after him because <laughs> of how many times he's won it, that kind of talent. I feel like, especially from a non-Bruins perspective, I always, when we play the Bruins, it's like, whoever we send out there against him is not doing anything on offense because his line is just going to keep us suppressed the entire time especially once they put together the line with him, Marshawn, and Pasta, where it just oh, feels yeah. like they have the puck the entire 45 seconds they're on the ice. I will say I hate when, like, the NBC broadcast calls them the perfection line. Yeah, that's kind of I've seen nuts. But I'm like, they are for sure one of the best, if not the number one top line in hockey. Yeah. Bergeron, it's because he doesn't put up the gaudy point totals. That's really probably the main reason, at least I feel like as a hockey nerd, that he doesn't get the respect he does. That's the only explanation there could be. I don't, like, if you watch him play every day, there's no way you can't be like, wow, this guy is insane. And then off the ice, he's the best person. He really is. Like, I I follow a lot of hockey people, and it's just like, 
you always see him out doing things. Like, even if it's, like, nothing special, it's just, oh, he went to go, like, you know, work at a food bank. He went to go visit kids in the hospital on an off day. Like, I want a guy like that on my team. I, I want a captain who everybody loves. It would be nice to have that. Oh, yeah, no. He's definitely just someone that I feel like is universally – not, I'm probably not liked, but respected. respected. Yeah. 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 That's a good way to put it. How do you feel going into this year? Do you still feel like this team can win a Stanley Cup, or do you kind of feel like it's going to be uh, not a rebuilding year or a retooling year, but kind of a reset year where you kind of got to figure out some of the pieces because the Bruins have a lot of workable pieces. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of finding how they fit together. Yeah, I think at least the beginning of this season, it, a lot of it is going to be trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. I feel like in the past, the big question always just was, oh, Krejci, get him like a right winger or whatever. And that was kind of just the one gap in the roster that no one was quite sure about. Now with like Char gone, Crew gone, you know, the lines looking a little different. There is a lot more questions to be asked. I don't know what the team's going to end up looking like by the time we reach playoffs. Cause I do, I'm like fairly, I don't knock on wood, you know, mm-hmm. I think they'll be make it to the playoffs pretty safely. I Although that so. division is kind of wild, but I don't know if I, I like, there's a lot of people that say, Oh, they're like chance that a cup's gone. Like that's over with. They lost it after 2019. I fully thought they could get in 2020. I'm not as confident this time around. I think it'll be a lot harder, but I still think they have a chance. Hey, maybe you'll play the Leafs in the first round and you won't have to sweat it at all. Oh God, I hope so. (laughs) Yeah, that's one of those weird things that's just kind of like, all my friends going into the bubble last year were like, how come you guys don't think the Leafs are going to win in the first round? I was like, do you not pay attention to this? Like, I get it. You're only asking me for gambling reasons, but yeah. like, the Leafs don't win in the playoffs. They no. just don't. It's one of those things that it's kind of inexplicable, but until they do it, no one's going to believe they can do it. And I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> We're going to get to that. That's in the rapid fire section. We're almost there. I promise we are almost there. <laughs> From a organizational perspective, do you feel like everything is kind of, it's well put together. Do you trust the way the organization is set up? Where, how they build the team, what they do for agents and trade-wise? Do you have confidence in your organization? I do. I know a lot. <laughs> there was apprehension in your voice. Yeah, I say it was kind of waning this off-season. They, it's not even like they were making bad moves. They just weren't doing much. Mm-hmm. But then you look at like the team they built up to now, and you're like, okay. This is a good, this is a good, this is a good team, good team. Like, you know, who's not here anymore? This is a team that could win. It just right now, again, it kind of feels like it's almost at a turning point this year. Like, it's not like a rebuild year or anything, but almost like a transition. Mm-hmm. Kind of looking forward to that future roster. Makes for interesting times. We, we can say that. It will be an interesting season. Very interesting, that's for sure. Yeah, it's going to be stressful. I think we can, every single hockey fan can agree this season is going to be stressful. Oh, yeah, especially in that division. I don't think there will ever be a game where I'm not, like, sweating on my feet. (laughs) Brutal. Because even the pushovers, like I said in the introduction, the Sabres, their bottom six is awful, but, you know, they're going to throw Eichel Hall and Olofsson out there for 22-ish, 23-ish minutes a night. And that's one of the six, seven best first lines in hockey. So even though the rest of their team isn't great, that's still a really good first line. No, that's terrifying. Like the worst (laughs) team in the league, not the league, the division, still has some of the best players on their team. (laughs) And you're facing them however many times. Yeah, eight, nine, whatever the breakdown is. Do you, yeah. do you like Cassidy as coach? Do you feel like he's kind of got a finger on the pulse where is he, uh, if things aren't working, he just juggles the lines kind of coach or is he, uh, the lines are what they are and they'll figure it out? See, I do like Cassidy, but that is my one grievance with him. He's pretty stubborn when it comes with the lines. I feel like he tends to push one or two players in a spot where they just don't, it just doesn't fit. And you see time and time again, like, they just keep being put in there. You're like, 
well, there's so many, like, other changes you can make. Like, this guy you could try out here instead. And it's just, like, specific experiments that have failed so many times. Any specific like, examples right, come to mind? You change and adjust, but... Any examples come to mind off the top of your head? Currently, thinking of the roster now, I would go with Nick Ritchie. Oh, okay, explain. So, I think, it, yeah, they kept putting him on the third line last year. And, like, not that the, like, I think it was when they were sitting Anders Bjork a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, 10 out of 10 times, I would rather see Bjork struggling on the ice than Richie. Well, yeah, you want the younger guy to get more ice time because there's more upside yeah. potential in that. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, what was it? Was it two years ago when they brought in Gianta after the Olympics and just gave away a roster spot to someone who, you know, wasn't in the league? Oh, yeah. Well, that's like last year when they brought they brought in Nick Ritchie at the trade deadline to help him win a cup. And then I think like he brought no production whatsoever. It just kind of made things worse. And I'm like, why are we still pushing him? <laughs> As someone whose head coaches, the last two head coaches of the Rangers have been extremely stubborn with that kind of thing. I empathize with your pain. There were a lot of... <laughs> There were nights where Pavel Buchnevich was healthy to scratch so Tanner Glass could play ice hockey. And the year, like, 2017, that happened multiple times, where, you know, someone who, like, could score 30 goals in a season was healthy scratched for someone whose, like, biggest acclaim is getting knocked out twice in one game. (laughs) We promise hockey people, executives, it's not this hard. It's really not that hard to, like, you know, make decent roster decisions. The guy who only – whose only upside is fighting – he really doesn't need to be in the lineup. He doesn't. He just doesn't. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I will never understand. Like, if it's not working, no one's going to judge you for changing. <laughs> exactly. Like, it's you won't de- be mad. It's definitely not working. If, if it's not working, try something else. If that doesn't work, then try something else. Be willing to experiment. Figure things out. You've got a long season to play with. You don't <laughs> have to, if you have your lineup the first night of the season opening night, it doesn't have to be the lineup the last day of the season going into the playoffs. Be willing to mess up. It's one of my biggest criticisms of, coach, of professional coaches is that they're too scared to make a mistake. They'd rather lose trying to be safe instead of trying to win. Yeah, I don't know if they're trying to, like, save face or something because they talked big on one player or something. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay it's, that you were wrong. Yeah. What? Now that we've kind of covered the bases, this is the fun, just kind of open-ended, getting-to-know-you hockey mind brain thing. Okay. Okay. Who is your favorite non-Bruin in the NHL? So I have two, actually. I like Kale McCarr of the Avalanche, mostly just because he's a UMass Amherst guy. Mm -hmm. And it's been fun living in Massachusetts, seeing the UMass Amherst program grow, especially with him in there. And I feel like since, even since he's graduated, they've just become one of the best teams to watch. And then my second choice is Connor Carrick of the Devils. I don't know if you've listened to his podcast. That's honestly the big one for me. I just love his podcast. I he's think a good he's so personality. Yeah, he's great. He's very funny. He's, he's good on Twitter. That's one of the few things that hockey players <laughs> are good at. There are a handful of them that are very good at Twitter. Connor Carrick is one of them. Luis Domingue, Elias Pedersen. There's a lot of really funny hockey people. Carrick is one of them. It's weird because, like, when I think UMass Amherst, I think of, like, you know, going to party and, like, <laughs> drugs, that kind of thing. Not, like, professional play- hockey players who are, like, good. Like, Kale McCarr is not, like, a fringe guy who, like, you know, came from the boondocks of eastern Massachusetts, went to UMass, and scraped his way into the league. Like, Kale McCarr went from being dominant in college to being dominant in the NHL as, like, a 20-year-old, which is insane. Yes. No, it's crazy. And it's just crazy to see in such a short amount of time already where he's built himself up to in the NHL. In a year and a half, he's one of the 10 best defensemen in the league already. Already. It's insane how it's weird because when you watch college hockey, there's not as much structure as there is in the NHL, where it's just a lot more of the guys with skill making things happen as opposed to a defined system. But it jumped out with McCarr where it's like, all right, he's just going to skate the puck from behind the, his own net, take it to the other zone, and he'll find someone open and he'll put it on their tape, and then it's a tap-in. He's one of the few guys who just jumps off at the college level. 
And it's so funny because I actually went to UMass Amherst game last year. And just the way people like Amherst fans talk about him still, you would think he's like the second coming of Jesus and like saved them all. It's so funny, but I'm like, I get it. <laughs> he's really good. I wish I had a guy like that. I mean, Adam Fox is like 90% of that. I can't complain. Yeah. I really can't complain. But Makar, very good hockey player, very entertaining. What is it about Massachusetts that's like that where it's like, you're like, yeah, I was just down Providence watching the Providence Bruins. I was watching UMass Amherst <laughs> hockey. What, what? Talk to me about the hockey culture in New England a little bit. It's it's an interesting one. I feel like if you're not from New England, no one really ever thinks that it's such a big hockey place. But like, I went to the Bean Pot actually recently too, and you would think like these people are going to the Super Bowl. Like, <laughs> For those people, it is the Super Bowl. Like, the diehard college hockey fans, it really is in that area. Yeah. And it's just weird to see how much it's grown, how much, like, especially college hockey has grown in Massachusetts. Because you've got BU, BC, Harvard, Northeastern. Am I missing anyone from the Beanpot? Nope, that's it. And yeah. But then, like, yeah, you got, like, UMass Amherst, PC, like, all these good hockey schools all within like an hour realm from like Boston. It's really cool to see because I, I I don't watch a ton of college hockey. Usually I'll, if I do, it's because the Rangers aren't on or there's not basketball on, whatever. But the few times I do watch college hockey, it is enjoyable and it is cool to see that it is growing because there's so much access to everything now where I can just randomly pick on a weeknight. Yeah, I want to watch Michigan play Wisconsin in hockey and I can find a stream with a Google search. It's really cool to see how much college hockey's grown. Oh yeah, no, it's super fun. And I love watching college hockey. I think it's so exciting. It is, it really is. And I, this is kind of just the football nerd in me, but especially with the big 10 schools, I just really like that the hockey teams have the football helmets with the cage on them. Like the Notre, <laughs> Notre Dame having the golden helmet for hockey is so cool. Just from a football oh, nerd perspective, like that's awesome. I want to play for Notre Dame. I can't skate, but I'll play for Notre Dame if I can get the helmet. I was saying for the helmet, yeah. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. Next question in this round. What team do you dislike the most? Is Shocking Montreal, answer, I know. Toronto? Maple Leafs. Okay, you're going to have to explain this a little bit to me. Because I always, I, I just don't get it. Like, you guys beat them. Why do you dislike them? I don't know if it's just because we've faced them now so many times, like if it's recency bias, it's just, <laughs> I think it was Pasternak of two years, was it two years ago or one year ago? I was like, I love beating Toronto. And you're all just like, hell yeah, <laughs> me too. It's just, they're so fun to like, their fan base, especially so easy to like rile up and they just hate us so much too. And it's just so one-sided because we always beat them. So. <laughs> I mean, I still remember where I was and what I was doing when the Bruins came back from that three-goal deficit in 2012. I was in my room <laughs> on Xbox, and my one friend, he goes, yo, Nick, you, you might want to put the Bruins game on. There's 10 minutes left. They just scored. It's 4-2. to two. I'm like, all right, fine. I'll put it on and see what's happening. I'm more what playing Xbox. I'm like, 4-3. to three. Oh, overtime. Okay. <laughs> and then, yeah, the, the Leafs kind of went on like a four-year tailspin after that, and yeah. The Bruins kind of broke them for a while, which was kind of interesting. And they still kind of have broken them because the two seven-game series they had, what was that, two years ago and three years ago now? Awesome series because both teams oh, yeah. are both – they both play that up-tempo, high-paced style where it's a lot of action. There's not a lot of just mindlessly dumping the puck to go and chase it. There's high-skill players on both sides. There are people who genuinely dislike each other on both teams, which makes it a little more spicy and entertaining. Yeah, it's exciting hockey. Exactly. It's why playoff hockey is the absolute best. It's what I tell everyone who's not really into hockey, but it's like, I'll try hockey. Watch a playoff game. You'll have a lot of fun. I promise. Playoff hockey is the best playoff sport, Absolutely. in my opinion. Absolutely. And that's not a please like my sport opinion either. That's just a fact. No. <laughs> I like playoff base. Playoff baseball is the second closest for me just because playoff baseball, you're just sitting there on pins and needles for four straight hours where every single pitch could be the impending doom where a team yep. just explodes. And it really is masterful tension where it's like, oh, the bases are loaded. This guy's coming in with a 4.5 ERA and he walks someone every three batters. 
this should be interesting. What's going to happen? It's brutal. It's so much fun. It's really a test of your heart rate. Baseball but especially. It's, but I just feel like the difference with that, with hockey, is it's so much, like, the fast-paced of it exactly. just makes it that much more exciting, whereas baseball, you're just, like, dragged, and it's, like, torturing you. <laughs> baseball is rough. Hockey, before we wrap things up and get to the end of the show, baseball, slow, methodical, pins and needles, torture, where you have white knuckles for four straight hours. Hockey, it's only like that in the overtime. If you get to overtime, then whatever you want to do is fine as a viewer. If you're standing, if you're looking away and only listening to the game, if you go into the other room and listen to the game with your fingers in your ear, overtime playoff hockey is way too stressful. I understand it's not for everyone. The faints of heart, it's not for them. It's not for them. Overtime playoff hockey is a thousand times worse than playoff baseball tension for me. I I still think about if, what was that game five in the Bruins uh Blue series where someone got tripped in the offensive zone and they just didn't call a penalty for whatever oh, reason. Oh, Achari was tripped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, like that's still in my brain, and I'm not a Bruins fan. I'm not a Blues fan, but I remember there were people who wanted blood. I I re- I thought I was like. Well, I'm sure the Bruins fans are going to take this very, very well. This is going to go. Oh, that that still haunts me. I can like, I see it replay my head still. That's one of those things that hockey specifically does because of the way it's played, where you have those images seared into your brain, where I still wake up with cold flashes from the 2014 cup finals of Rick Nash missing (laughs) an open net. The net's wide open. All he's got to do is put the puck in the net and he hit the glass. Wide open net, professional hockey player, $8 million a year put it in the net and he misses every single time and it's seven years later and I'm still not over it keeps you up at night (laughs) it really does I forgot Rick Dash was a Bruin that just reminded me that happened for like three weeks like four years ago weird season that was when they traded when the Bruins loaded up they traded for him they traded for Holden that's one thing I will say roster that was a very weird roster Bruins are always (laughs) aggressive at the deadline they always make moves they always try and bolster things because they are always a legitimate contender where they feel like they're one piece away. It's one of the reasons I like that they went and got Andre Case from uh, the Ducks, who's always been kind of underrated, but if he gets the right opportunity playing with the right person, I think Krejci can be that person. Yeah. Case is very good. I think he has a lot of potential. And Krejci, he's a lot better in the playoffs than in the regular season for whatever reason. Playoff Krejci is a real thing. but Insane. Still in the regular season, he's very good. Yes, he's another person I feel very underrated. That's very fair because he's a second-line center. He does have the occasional injury issue. And like I just said, he's just a lot better in the playoffs than in the regular season for whatever reason. I guess he only gets going for the playoffs. Before I let you go and we all go about our Mondays watching college football or hockey, well, no, I think there's a couple scrimmages tonight. Where can the people find your work, Sarah? Because like me, you are an independent content creator trying to yes. make their way. Tell us a little bit about the stuff you work on, where they, where the people out there can find your work. Okay, so, well, you can go to my Twitter, which is at SKG underscore 18, and that has a link to my sports media website, which is just sarahgriffinsportsmedia.com, which just has my blog and any work that I don't write for picture lists. Otherwise, any baseball stuff I do is on Pitcher List. And I think you can just look up by author name. It's Sarah Griffin. Should be there. <laughs> what kind of work do you typically do? What kind of stories do you like to write or podcast, what have you? So for baseball, for the regular, like in season, I just do a lot of like picking like one certain player who's maybe having a really good week. Because usually I just do a weekly article for Pitcher List. And I'll pick on like maybe one player who's had a really good week or something. Um, I did, I ranked the rookies last year. I actually just finished, it took me a while. I don't think it's going to be published till next week, but it's a full preview for the Red Sox season, like analyzing each like hitter, pitcher, whatever, kind of looking to see if there is any reason to have hope for next season. And then I'll write hawk. I don't write as many hockey articles. Maybe now that I'm back in the swing of things with the season coming back, I do like, I actually wrote more about the Providence Bruins, honestly, last season than Boston Bruins, but. Real quick, before I get you out of here, how do you feel that Alex Cora is back? We're going to, I'm going to have you back in a few weeks to talk closer to baseball, to talk about the Red Sox. 
Okay. Qu- give me a minute or two about Alex Cora, please. I am absolutely thrilled. I've been saying since as soon as they quote unquote parted ways with him last year, whatever, fired. We all know that's what it was. I was like, nope, he's going to be back next year. I don't care what people have to say about it. Of course, people are like, oh, he's a cheater, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I don't care. Bring him back. I don't care. If every single Astro player can get off with nothing, then the guy who's a scapegoat for the whole thing, he absolutely, especially after you want us a World Series, can come back. That's pretty succinct. That's kind of what I expected. That's honestly what I, I'll be honest, I wanted the Mets to go and get Cora to be the manager for this year, but yeah. that didn't manifest. And it kind of seemed like he was only going to come back to manage the Red Sox. Yeah, it seemed like that was his intention the entire time, too. That it was kind of just Red Sox or bust. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's a good job if you can get it, especially considering. I think I know the boss. I know Red Sox fans are kind of, I'll, I'll say intense about the, the Red Sox, but uh, he's bought himself a little bit of time. And I think generally realized that the roster needs more pieces. Yeah, a thousand percent. And plus, you have all the guys now who were on that 2018 2019 team were like, we need core back. Like, that's our guy. At that point, you really can't bring in anyone else. If the actual players are like, this is who we need here to do better, then that's who you got to bring back, regardless of what backlash you might get from it. He's a good manager. I would love to have him, and I wouldn't care either if I had him as my manager. <laughs> Just being frank, I'm trying to win a World Series before I die. I'd like, to, I'd like one. So if you could give me the best manager, that's fine. I'd really like it. Well, Thanks. hey, it looks like it's in the cards for you now. Hey, we got so Frankie Lindor. Be- we got Frankie yeah. Lindor. That's all. I'm content now. They don't need to do anything else. I don't need George Springer. I don't want Trevor Bauer. I'm good. Just get yeah. us to spring training. No one get hurt. Syndergaard <laughs> come back in June. Just let's get to the season now. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. There you go. Thank you so much for coming on, Sarah. I was really happy to see that you replied to the DM and we're like, yeah, I'd love to, because a lot of people just kind of ignore when you request them to interview them. So thank you for that. Thank you for having me. And honestly, sometimes I do that too. I like, will look at a DM and be like, oh, I'll respond to that later. I think I told you, like, ask me again, like a week. Yeah. Because I will forget. (laughs) We will be back tomorrow, Wednesday, NBA episode, Thursday. It'll be me by myself, Rangers preview stuff. And then Friday, trying to iron out the guests. It'll be one of two people talking about the NFL playoffs. Enjoy the national title game. Uh, I'm not going to say go Bruins because I just said go Bruins, but whatever. Uh, (laughs) Hockey's back. Let's rejoice. Woo.